Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM, where we dissect topics and issues relating to life in veterinary school. I'm your host, Seth Williams, and I'm a veterinary student at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine. So I am especially excited because today we're going to get some advice and insight on how to really succeed as a new veterinarian and as a veterinary student and what we can be doing right now in veterinary school to make sure that we can kick ass when we graduate. So allow me to welcome on all the way from the UK, Dr. Dave Nickel. So I could literally spend this entire podcast listing off all of the things that Dr. Dave has done, all of his accolades, but I'm going to try to keep his introduction short. So Dr. Dave has been a small animal practitioner since 1998, and he's an expert in leadership and management in the veterinary space. He's an incredibly successful influencer in veterinary professionals literally all over the globe, whether that's by speaking, writing, mentoring, coaching, consulting, and leading training conferences. In 2011, he published his first book. It's called The Yellow Pages Are Dead, and just this past year published his second book aimed at new veterinary graduates, and that is called So You're a Vet, Now What? Essential Lessons No One Teaches You at Vet School But Will Help You Thrive as a Veterinarian. His latest book is a must, must read for veterinary students and new graduates and is chock full of invaluable tips and lessons on how to make it out in the real world. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Dave Nickel. How's it going, Dave? It's going very, very well. Thank you very much for having me, Seth. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on and, and for uh, making the time work. You are across the pond, as they say. Uh, so early morning here, mid-afternoon there. Um, I'm glad we got this worked out. So thank you very much. No problems. Great to be on. Good. So before we get into the topic for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to tell us a bit about yourself and your journey and what you're doing now. Well, all my, my journey's been a, a, a around the world, not quite Phileas Fogg, not far off of it. Uh, I, I, I'm a veterinary surgeon, that's my background. I'm Scottish, so you may need subtitles for the accent on the podcast. I'll try and speak slowly and <laughs> articulate and get my elocution right. Uh, I had to do that for the exam room when I started working in England anyway. Uh, so hopefully you can understand me. Yeah. I graduated from Glasgow Vet School back in 1998, which means I'm almost 20 years out of college. It goes wow. in the blink of an eye. And uh, I would say like I was, uh, I'm not sure if I was a vet stuck in an entrepreneur's body or the other way around. Um, but I always felt a little bit like a fish out of water at university, never the smartest in the class, not by a long way. Um, uh, I, you know, I got through by working probably smarter and uh, you know, a combination of that and, and blind luck. Um, but I really found my feet in the final year of vet school when I entered the examination room. And, and in that moment, having felt like a little bit of a fish out of water throughout the course, I suddenly found the thing that I was confident. I knew without any doubt this was the area that I could be better than anybody else in the class in. And it was the interaction with clients. It was that interface and the art of building relationships quickly, uh, building trust and persuasion. Uh, I instantly felt comfortable with that. And and so that then oppor 
opened up a lot of opportunities for me because when you can do that with clients, clients respond to you, they let you do medicine a lot more. Mm-hmm. So when you get to do medicine a lot more, you get to upskill a lot faster. I think that's something that a lot of people haven't really thought about. Um, so I was generating a lot of cases so I could build my practical skills um, very, very quickly. That served me pretty well and allowed me to become, to, to rise rise or climb the sort of ladder of um, of seniority fairly quickly. And so by the time I was 29, I was a director in a, a big veterinary hospital in southeast England in London. Um, I was line managing, I was head vet in an 18 doctor hospital there Uh, and then I took a a segue in my career and moved over to Australia for what was meant to be 12 months and turned into seven years and in the process (laughs) yeah um in the process of that I oh I I bought a hospital um owned it outright myself um that went great did that for 18 months got a little bit bored because I get a little bit bored every 18 months so then I opened a, a a new hospital from scratch did that for 18 months and then uh somebody came along and liked what what i was doing and asked me if they could buy their hospitals the the hospitals so i i I liked what they were doing so sold the hospitals and worked as their chief veterinary officer um for the next 18 months then i moved back to the uk where i now live um and i travel the world speaking at conferences i write books i produce um podcasts and i also run um really a non-clinical skills training business for uh, recent graduates, also for practice owners, uh, really for anybody interested in the art rather than the science of veterinary practice. Um, so we focus a lot for veterinarians on the exam room uh, and for um, practice owners or clinical team leaders, we, we focus a lot on their leadership Mm-hmm. Um, skills, a lot of which are frameworks and communication skills at the end of the day. So that keeps me pretty busy. I sit on a, a, a couple of boards um, uh, advising sort of media companies and I have some really cool projects I'm working on around the world, um, mostly in the sort of training and education space in veterinary medicine. So keeps me busy. It sounds like it. I can't, I can't even imagine how you had the time to do all of that. So if you'd have told me all at once i would never have started it but as it builds up slowly you just you you deal with it so right right well cool and 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 i'm really i really admire you for the work that you do with the new graduates trying to cultivate um leadership and trying to change the profession for for the better and trying to change things that have not been working as well for us for the past you know several decades but uh, have just become the norm and and what we can do to change that and and um and that's what i want to talk to you about today so um your book your new book um so your vet now what uh is awesome and like i said in the intro uh is definitely a book that every vet student and new graduate should have on their bookshelf um tons of awesome tidbits in there uh and things that they just don't tell you in vet school which still blows my mind that we don't get taught these these basic things that are what you think are basic but uh they just fall by the wayside i think you said it perfectly that that we that the art of veterinary medicine is so important and i think in vet schools at least in the u.s and i'm not sure how it is over in the uk or or in australia but i feel like there's so much focus on the science of it and, and not so much on 
on the art, like I said, and, and like those soft skills such as communication and leadership and rapport building and and, and the like. So um, that's kind of what I want to, to focus a little bit on today and, and get your advice. And, and while I know that the book, while it's it's terrific for vet students i i think it's it's mainly aimed for the new graduate right 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 it was it was written you know and and, and first thing i would say is I, I i don't want anybody in academia or education currently to think like i'm pointing a big bony finger at them i right. think those guys do a great job there's just a lot to teach and i i but I think there are things that you learn, there's street skills you learn once you get out, that in order to execute the technical skills of the job, the clinical skills, you're so much better placed to do it if you've gotten the softer skills of the job down pat. Right. And so that's that's really why I, I wrote the book. Also, there was just some things I thought, you know, these things are not being talked about enough and I wanted to include things like that in the book because you know honestly I, I wrote the book for new graduates but I think for students in their maybe their fourth and final years of, of vet college and increasingly when I think about what I've written there I think people entering vet school like anybody who wants to enter vet school I actually think that might be one of the smartest markets to read it at all because here's one of the things that really concerns me about what's going on in veterinary medicine just now and I think this is global I don't think this is a US thing you know, I, I work in the U.S. I spend a, a good few weeks in the U.S. every year working and, and lecturing and, and meeting a bunch of you guys, and you're all awesome. Um, I live in the U.K. And, and I lived in Australia, so I feel like I've got a good viewpoint on what's happening globally in veterinary medicine. And, and the same things are cropping up everywhere, and the same levels of dissatisfaction are being reported in, in graduates as they leave vet school and enter the profession. You know, there's this honeymoon period which is exciting, uh, but then there's a this sort of what the what investors or, or technology startups would call the trough of sorrow, mm-hmm. where people start burning out, and that happens really fast. And I think there's a m- mul- multiple reasons for that, and we could go deep in all whatever you want to go deep on there, Seth. But one of the things that I think is a big concern is we're selling this idyllic dream of what it's like to be a vet at one end of the course. Or people have this idyllic dream, this James Herriot notion, this fantasy. And when they get out of the course into the real world, it's not really like that. You know, the business has changed. The business of veterinary medicine or the delivery of veterinary medicine has changed so much mm-hmm. that I'm not sure people understand what they're getting into at the start of it. Now, perhaps in the US, because you guys do a degree first, and so you're a little bit more mature and unfortunately saddled in debt which is sure. a different matter entirely. But you may have that extra level of maturity where you know, you're know you able to think about that a little bit more. Um, but certainly in in the UK, in Australia, you don't do that first. And so you're hitting vet school age 17. You know, I graduated when I was 22. Wow. Um, and so that, you know, I'm, 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 that gives you an idea of my age. So, you know, coming up on, I'm 41, coming up on 42, 20 years in the profession, there's a lot of US students at that point probably only have 10 years experience under their belt or maybe 15 at most. Right. So I think our our selection of the career and you know how we're selling it, how we're talking about it to people entering college, that's kind of important. And so it would be interesting for people going in at that point to read the book because I think the book gives a very nuts and bolts view and quite an 
honest view of some of the things that you're going to have to deal with. And so it's not pages full of fluffy kittens and puppies. It's, right. it's pages of realism, which they might not understand all of, but if it gives people an insight into it, then perhaps we would filter out some of the people who were not well equipped to handle life as a veterinary surgeon. And, and there are several of those entering the profession at the minute. Sure. Definitely. That's great. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you that, that the way that our society has painted this image of what veterinarians do, and I'm thinking specifically about the this new, or not new anymore, the, the, the huge rise of the TV shows of the veterinarians, and while they're entertaining and, and there's some good parts about it and some, some not-so-good parts about it, it definitely paints a, a perfect picture of what the veterinarian's life is, and, and, and I think people like you... Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't it be good if they would put in all the things we screwed up and messed right. up? Like they only ever put on the cases that were the, the Hail Marys that made it or the, the huge right. surgeries. that. And how many of them do we do in general practice? You know, you get them, but they're right. rare. They're so rare. We put them in the newspapers, the local newspapers, because they're right. newsworthy, you know? Right. And honestly, like for me, like one of the one of the ways I try and think about veterinary medicine, and it's really served me very well, is every single person walks in my exam room, like... Every animal, every interaction is, you You can treat them and treat that moment like a hero experience. You can make them feel a million dollars by the way you interact with them and the way you make them feel. Um, you can have your, you know, your coat pocket full of um, liver treats and have that animal, that puppy loving on you and just, just not being scared by the experience. You know, these are right. all choices we can make to improve that experience and, and enjoy and have gratitude for that single moment that's what propelled me through the first 20 years of my career and although I'm not in the exam room now it's not because I didn't like it I loved it if I if I had to stop doing what I'm doing now and go back to the exam room I'd still be happy because I loved being with the clients and I really miss that so like I think it's we have to make people understand this is so much more about clients or certainly equally about clients than it is about pets and and there are some people have a really hard time getting that in their skulls sure. and that may be a scary thing for people to hear um, but there's no getting away from it um, if right. you're in small animal practice you got to look after your your pet owners first and then you get to do the juicy cool stuff um not the other way around right definitely terrific well let's get into the topic at hand and i wanted to ask you your if you had to pick five things that you would advise veterinary students to do and kind of basing off of the lessons and teachings in your new book that you um, that you advise for new graduates and and what what we could be doing right now to make our lives as practitioners or um, just veterinarians out in the field uh, even more successful than they could already be so um, we'll just go go through them and and go as deep as we want and kind of go where the conversation goes. But um, what's the first thing that, that you would say to, to veterinary students? Um, well, I mean, if we just the book as a guide, I think the, the first thing, and we, we won't go deep in this, but the first thing I wrote about was the, the top five reasons graduates get sued mm -hmm. uh, and how to avoid them. And my takeaway from that chapter was try not to worry about it because there, you know, we all come out of college. And I remember thinking this as well was, you know, uh, you know, the first thing you want to do, like, if, what do you want to do in your first year? I don't remember thinking I want to be an amazing surgeon or I want to, you know, have great relationships with clients or any of that. 
I remember thinking, I just don't want to get sued. I don't right. want to lose my right. license, right? And actually, the data um, that I have looked at from from um, multiple sources indicates that it's not graduates that get sued the most. It's mm. actually there's there's very little to no correlation with um, with age out of college, and if anything, it's it's people further down the track that that, that end up in hot water. It's it's not to do with your experience necessarily and and in some way I think your lack of experience protects you because you're scared of everything so you double check and you don't want to go past your you know past the limits that you you know you have um, and you're careful to you know you're tentative with your your communications with clients so in some ways it's the paralysis by fear that stops the problem Um, but there isn't a a strong correlation according to the data from the UK and the US uh, the UK and Australia um, that, that that was I could demonstrate um, so that was the first thing. And, and I think the lesson I would associate with that is just relax. Mm-hmm. You know, and it takes me back to on the Blunt Dissection podcast, I, I always ask my guests, you know, what if you could give yourself one piece of advice? And these guys are all epic, successful leaders from all branches of veterinary practice. Ask them, if you could give yourself one piece of advice back at graduation, what would it be? And I think about 70% of the guests so far have said exactly the same thing. Now, I don't think they got in a big huddle and worked this out beforehand. Um, but they said, just relax. It's going to be okay. That was the advice. And I think it's very easy to look back when you're 20, 30 years down the track and you've you've experienced success. But I think it's very important to, to not let fear dominate your thinking or let anxiety take over your life and if you're worried about everything then then eventually you are going to make a mistake um, or you're not going to grow the way you should grow you'll be fearful and that will stop you taking opportunities and that will stunt your growth or slow your growth um, and that is not going to make you feel great about yourself it's not going to give you certainty that you can do this job and so you're not going to have a great esteem and eventually that's going to lead to um, either um, dissatisfaction in leaving um, or potentially stress and burnout so just relax and enjoy it. Um, you know, things will be okay. And and that that then the other I think the other goals I would I would or the other things that piece of advice I would give for people um all sort of then feed into how to then go about achieving your goal. So um number two is look after yourself mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I have like my five to thrive. Um, I talk about when I'm speaking. And so generally what we want to do is get exercise of some form every day. Now, if that if you're a marathon runner, that's going to mean a big lot of difference to if you're somebody who's a little overweight and doesn't do a lot of exercise. Right. It just means do what you need to do in order to get some endorphins pumping, get your cardio happening. Um, and because I tell you, it's great for you, but it's also wonderful for your brain cells. Like those little... Um, those little brain cells, all those little neurons start bathing in, in those sort of positive neurotransmitters and it feels good mm-hmm. and it helps you, you know, it helps remove stress, helps clear your system. It's a great thing to do. And it doesn't have to be a lot. Like you can walk two or three times around your block. That's enough if you do nothing to improve your situation, your thinking. Um, the second one is be careful what you put in your body. Okay, sure. so too much of anything's probably not good. Like moderation, like everything in moderation, including moderation itself. I really like that phrase. So I'm not saying, and I would be crazy to say it with a Scottish accent, 
don't go out and enjoy a beer because I right. do enjoy a beer. Um, but don't go completely crazy on it, right? Right. Um, so, you know, I eat, I eat much better now than when I first graduated. Um, I, I tend to eat healthy things. And when I do that, I feel much better. I, I have better energy. Um, if you're in a, a veterinary hospital snacking on junk food, eating high sugary foods, then you're going to have blood sugar crashes. Right. You know, and you're going to get what we all, I don't know if you have this term across there, Seth, but we always used to call it hangry. Um, oh, yeah. You're hungry and angry. And, and you're just I get hangry like, a lot. You get hangry a lot. You're like, oh, yeah. Me too. Like, you know, <laughs> so you just have to, you know, snack, but don't snack on chocolate when you're hangry you know you'll feel better for about 10 minutes and then you're going to plunge further again as your insulin right. kicks in you know um so that, that that's just not a not a good look now that the next thing in the five to thrive is mindfulness okay now for me it took me a long time to find it but for the last i think maybe six or seven years i have developed mindfulness practice every day and so sometimes that means taking 10 minutes at the start of my day and meditating doing breathing meditations maybe a guided meditation um you know maybe just lighting a candle in a darkened room and just before the craziness of the day gets going before email kicks in before all of this stuff i just want brain space to put my brain in neutral and five to ten minutes a day of that has got some really profound benefits on your ability to tolerate and cope with stress improves your resilience mm-hmm. i also have a crazy little mindfulness practice like i clean my kitchen every night and i use sure. it as a focus exercise as well like so my family have dinner the kitchen's a mess and i'll say to my wife like you you know you go and and she, she goes and, and baths her daughter and i'll say no i'll take care of the kitchen and and you know, once upon a time, I hated doing that. Like household chores were like my my nemesis. Just hated it. <laughs> you know, before I got married, I had this you know boy pad that was just continually an absolute dump. You know, it was it would have been embarrassing to. It's just it's, frankly, it's a miracle I ended up getting married the, the state that I was in. <laughs> now, oh, now, right now though, I love that exercise because it, it, it I I remain focused on. Okay, the, the bigger the mess, the better I enjoy it because I'm like, oh boy, this is like a big task. And how'd you how'd you how'd you get the big task done? One thing at a time. Mm-hmm. And you just keep going. And so it's such a so I'm mindful about what I'm doing. I'm also training my brain to have discipline and focus. And so they're just little mind games you can play to make things more exciting. So that's mindfulness. That's the third one. Next thing up, um, I uh, like strongly advise um, reading um, and setting aside a little time each day for reading uh, and something that will self-improve. Now that that might be a journal, that might be a self-help book, um, you know that that might be that might that might even be an audio book. Okay, mm-hmm. but just something like my favorite app at the minute is Blinkist. Um, and you get like fifteen minutes of all sorts of books. Uh, you know, condensed down into a 15 minute audiobook. So it's just the headlines. And so I, th- I don't know if you, what your reading list looks like. You know, you're at college still, so you probably don't have a heap of free time. Kudos right. to you, by the way, for finding time to do this sort of thing. Um, but, you know, when you're not having to read clinical textbooks and revise so much anymore, like people always recommend books. And you're like, oh, I've got to get that book and read it. So my reading list, my pile of books beside my bed is out of control. There's no way I can get through it until I retire. <laughs> and they're not going to help me once I'm retired. So I, I love audiobooks. I, and Blinkist gives me the headlines on something that I'll know, okay, that's good for me, or you know, I'm going to go deeper on that or not. So I think reading is super important. And then the last of the five to thrive is journaling. 
And so mm. I'll, I'll just get Evernote or I'll get a notepad. I love notepads. And I'll just write something. It doesn't matter what you write. Um, like I did a, a stand-up comedy course, my first ever stand-up comedy course and gig this weekend. And it was terrifying. Um, but I, I took a notepad and that notepad's now going to be my, my gag writing book. And I thought, you know what? That's going to be part of my morning routine. I'm just going to write two or three gags. And and it's because it's just what's in your brain. I'm going to take what is in my brain and try and turn it into some sort of joke. All, it's, all it is is an outlet for thoughts and emotions. And, and that might be stress. It might be fear. It might be happy. It might be lots of things. But just acknowledging them and being comfortable in them, I think is great training for being. And, and what all of this is headed towards is being grounded, mm-hmm. being centered and not being at the, you know, the mercy of your emotion. Because if you're that person, then a job in veterinary medicine is an awful lot more challenging. So I think that's how I would recommend to look after yourself. Um, you know, the, there's there. I'm not going to go through every sort of chapter in the book, Seth, because I'm going to use up all your valuable time doing that. <laughs> but I, I wrote I wrote down a, a little list of five few bullet ones just to try and rein it in a little bit. So sure. the first one was relax. The second one's um, the second one actually wasn't exercise at all. That one just came in there because I think it's super important. But the second one on my list here is be nice. Right. You know, we get caught up in, uh, and again, this comes back to being grounded, but we get caught up in our own hubris, our own sense of self-worth and sense of importance and ego. And so sometimes, and particularly in the, the harder moments that we're faced with when clients want a piece of our, our day or a, a case is not going so well or we're you know we're, we're just under the gun we're under the stress then we can say a sharp word or something we'd regret and so that can happen to anybody so it's that, that's okay like that's part of the human condition what's important is that you acknowledge that happened or you recognize that happened and you make amends you repair your relationships and and if you feel like you ever do that just take someone aside and say you know I said I said a sharp word there. I, I don't know. I didn't mean it like that. I, just, I don't know if you interpreted it like that. But anyways, I, I felt like that. I wasn't either my best self or that was not the right thing to say. So I just wanted to say, I'm sorry. I was kind of stressed, um, you know. And and that's a little little conversation like that really shows a maturity and, and allows you to maintain strong relationships. So try and be nice. You know, even when we don't feel like it, nobody shows up to work to get a hard time um, right. because you can't control your emotions. Um, and that implies self-awareness and not all of us have that. So I have a little rule of thumb, which is if everybody else seems like they're being a douchebag, it's probably <laughs> not everybody else. Right. Like the chances statistically of that being the case are, are pretty low unless you chose a bad practice. Right. <laughs> right? So, right. So that's number two. Number three is embrace failure. And I think this is probably a, a bigger deal now than it was when I graduated. Like I graduated at the tail end of the time when it was okay t- to have a go. And so we have this whole paradox in medicine where clients want us to be the best right they, they want us to be great at everything and they don't want to see the person who's not great at everything but how on earth do you ever get to be great at everything unless you try when you suck at everything right right, right. so we all come out of vet school and let me absolutely guarantee you of this of one thing you will suck at being a vet when you leave vet school because vet school does not train you how to be a good vet it trains you how to pass examinations sure 
Um, so you will suck at it. And some of you will suck a bit less than others, but you will suck at it. And you'll suck at it for probably three to five years. Okay? Now, that's what I wanted to write the book about, see if I could accelerate that a little bit for people and, you know, teach some of the lessons that I, you know, I switched off for three to five years because I worked with great people. Mm-hmm. Then I realized, you know what, I'm just asking them. I'm not learning stuff myself. And so you're going to mess up. Now, we, we live in a, a time when, you know, when I, when I graduated, if I screwed up, it was between me, the animal, my boss, the client, and if I was very unlucky, the local paper. Right. You guys don't. You guys are now growing up in a time, and we all operate in this time now, but you're starting in in the land of social media, of, of uber-connectedness, and I understand that's a stress. Okay, everyone fears that bad review on Google or Yelp. Um, everyone worries that it's going to be them getting slammed um, in, you know, in, in, in whatever digital format of hell. But But don't make those stories up in your head. Don't let that stop you doing something. Just it's important to have mentoring and it's important that you choose the size of your failure. Okay, so you've got to limit your downside. If you're going to take on a new operation, then make sure you know roughly what to do. And also, if you, the point at which you should stop if you're getting in trouble. And, and if you don't get through the operation all by yourself, or if the, the, the neutering operation takes you an hour and a half and you hope to do it in an hour, well, who cares? Good for you for having a go. Right. Like, have a go. Do not let the thought of... Because like, if you are scared of failing, you're not going to grow. Like there is no growth without failure, okay? And and the, the pathway to awesome starts with, with being awful. So acknowledge that you're going to be bad at something, give it a go, learn something, improve. Repeat over and over and over again, and that's what learning looks like, okay? So it does involve your checking your ego. And I think that there is there are certain trends between generations that are happening now that are yeah, I think there's a way of thinking for a lot of millennials that's not serving the millennial generation very well, and that is the sense of entitlement uh, sure. and the lack of ability to have been exposed to failure. And those are not helpful things because they're not realistic. The real world doesn't work like that. I promise you, nobody that gets to be awesome at anything started as anything other than terrible. And they have been... A, maybe a bit less terrible at it. They may have thought they were great at it. Their hand may have shaken a little bit less at university than everybody else's when they were holding the scalpel, but they would have still sucked at it. So embrace it. Um, and I think following people on, having, you go ahead, Seth. Uh, uh, well, and that really, uh, that I think is one of the most important lessons that, that I've, I've heard all through vet school is that recognizing that it's okay to fail is really important too, because I think, and I'm not sure what it's like over there uh, or in Australia, but uh, but obviously wellness everywhere is a is a huge topic of discussion, uh, mental wellness uh, especially. And I've found that, or what I believe in, and obviously there's no no scientific proof behind this little theory of mine, but I think that a lot of the the problems with wellness that we have as veterinary students surrounds the fact that for a lot of us, uh, this real sense of failure. And and having these experiences where you are not succeeding the first time through, or even the second time or third time, uh, leads us down this really dark path of feeling like we're not good enough, or that we are a failure in general. Um, so I think if we can address that off the bat, that that failing in general is one of the best ways to learn, and that in vet school and as a veterinarian, 
we're going to fail a lot and that that is okay. It is no um, bad mark on you as a person or your your ability to be a, a great veterinarian and that, like you said, to embrace it and that it's okay because when we don't embrace it and we think that the first time we fail uh, means that we're not cut out for this this career, uh, that's just going to get us into a whole heap of trouble and, and, again, lead us down this really dark path to uh, to burnout or depression or, or even worse things. So, so thanks for saying that because I really do think that's important for for all, everybody to hear, but especially vet students because because vet school is is incredibly hard. But but being a veterinarian out in the real world, uh, in many ways, is even harder. So, the earlier well, you Seth, embrace that, the better. I think you've really expanded on a point there, and I think it's worth dwelling on. If I can convey my experience at university and. I, I, I was happy to get to university. I felt like a fish out of water. I was effectively failing from day one at university. You know, I remember my first day in the biochemistry lab and doing doing some of the equations. And, and I'm like, I genuinely have no idea what's going on in here. And just felt like, what have I done? Like, have I chosen the right career here? Um, you know, I'd, I'd walked into a veterinary clinic in St. Andrews where I was brought up at first age 13 um, you know the, the the time then like that's four years on four and mm-hmm. a half years on I'm in university now I'm thinking you know and when you're 13 to 17 and a half like it feels like that's forever right um, so I'm wondering did I did I waste all of that time and and so I really struggled and I wasn't the most engaged student not at that part I really was engaged socially a lot more which meant I was in the bar too much. Mm-hmm. And and I played sport. Like I played rugby, which is like, you know, American football without the pads. Right. Real men. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was, I and I played a lot of rugby. I played from a university. And and so I remember in my third year, so my, my with five years of vet school in Scotland as well. And on the even years, I got pass-fail orals, which were like, so you got close to the pass mark, but you didn't make the pass mark. Mm-hmm. You were close enough, they were going to give you a lifeline, and maybe you had a bad day at the office. Um, well, I remember in, in the second year, it was actually the third year, I, I did not go to a parasitology lecture for the whole of the first term. Wow. Because I was playing rugby, they, all of the rugby games were scheduled on a Wednesday, Sure. And if you didn't, if you weren't going to play, you weren't going to be in the team. So I made a choice like, okay, do I learn about worms and dog poop or do I go play the sport I absolutely adore? There was no college grants. There was nothing like, you know, it wasn't a bursary. It wasn't a scholarship. It was, you know, there's no connection between these two things. If I I have to choose one and succeed at one or fail at the other. Right. And so I, I chose the thing that I loved to do. Um, and so I remember getting 29% in my end of term parasitology examination, right? Now you needed to get a class ticket, which meant you had to actually show up and do the exams. But I remember getting the conversation from the head of the department going, you know, what's going on here? That's a pretty epically bad score. And I'm going, well, I've actually thought that was a pretty good score considering right. I've never been to any of the lectures. And he just looked kind of like ashen faced at me like I was some kind of idiot. Well, it wasn't that hard to learn life cycles and the rugby season didn't go on all year because we got knocked out of the cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I eventually got it together and passed that exam. But if I'd have looked at that as failure, then I would have never gotten gotten on. And I'd never gotten through the first four years. But let me tell all of you right now, 
If you go into general practice, I'll tell you exactly how many times you're going to use the Krebs cycle to fix anything. Right. <laughs> Zip. Nada. Okay. A lot of what you're getting taught is, is useful because you need that foundation, of course, but isn't necessarily going to be highly practical when you're having to explain things in an exam room to an owner. And it's not going to serve you very well when you've got a bleeder hitting the ceiling in your operating theater. Um, you know, the Krebs cycle is not going to help you there. It's practical skills are going to help you. So don't worry about failure. You can always correct it. I would say like the, my best analogy is where you're fail, like they should all be worn like badges of honor. Like where your failure is like a purple heart and your success is like a medal of honor, but be humble and be realistic about mm-hmm. both and you will not go too far wrong. Perfect. That's great. Uh, yeah, I think the more times that people can hear, hear that, uh, the better. Because I think, like I said, that's one of the biggest things plaguing uh, our profession right now is is wellness and imposter syndrome and and all of that. So so thank you. Oh, oh god, you're going to you're going to the other one. Imposter syndrome. Like if you're not feeling like you're an imposter at something, you've been doing something for far too long. Like that sure. was, that's the whole reason I did this stand up comedy thing this weekend. I wanted to do. You know, I I speak at conferences all the time. Like standing in front of a room full of people gives me no fear anymore. But. So I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to improve my joke writing. And since I, my daughter's five, my jokes have sucked because they turned all to dad <laughs> jokes when she was born, right? So um, do you have kids, Seth? Uh, I don't. I have one on the way, though. Oh, congratulations. We'll Thank see. You. Your your jokes will already have, have taken a turn for the worse because it I happens know. the moment of fertilization, my friend. I, I've already um, felt it. So, so yeah, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> no, you're welcome. It, it's, it's a, it's a badge we almost wear with honor. So, so I decided to do this stand up comedy and did I feel like an imposter syndrome? Was I terrified? Did I fail? Did I fluff a couple of lines? Absolutely. All of that. Did I get off the stage and beat myself up? Cause I wasn't like, um, like Jack D or, um, I'm I, like, I'm struggling to find an American comedian that, that, that jumps straight in my head, but I wasn't like the funniest dude. I'm not going to rock the Montreal comedy festival with that. Right. So I didn't beat myself up. I was like high-fiving. Cause it was like, I did it. I got through it. I tried. And now I know that I know something and now I can build on that platform. That's how you embrace Like forget imposter. If you're not feeling an imposter, you're really not playing the right game. Right. I, I suggest just, enjoy it it feels weird it just feels weird and we've not we're not comfortable with emotion well just lean into just sit sit with it let it be there and it's like you know this is kind of weird this is kind of odd but i'm just going to go with it and right. then work out and that actually leads really nicely into to point four and point five because point four is set goals mm-hmm. right so if you suck at something set yourself a goal like i want to be a great surgeon is a terrible goal because it's not specific like I want to be able to do neutering operations on adult female dogs within 30 minutes, three months from now. Mm-hmm. Great. That's a goal you can work with because now you can milestone out toward that and go, okay, so how am I going to do that? If you're in a practice that does one neutering op every, every month, that's not good enough. You're going to have to haggle and get some time at a rescue clinic or go overseas and, and work at an NGO and, and do some, some, you know, rapid skill acceleration in a, you know, in somewhere like India or something like that. You know, there's a ton of places you could go learn those skills. If you set the goal, the pathway becomes clear. Always know sure. where you are, where you want to go, and then you map it out and it's easy. And then that leads into point five, which is just have fun. 
Like I think as soon as as soon as you're not having fun, like you have a problem. Right. And so if you're not having fun, then you have to find a way to build some fun into it. And that can mean in your personal life, making sure you've got time away from your job, from your practice, from your studies. It can mean in the practice, it's okay to have a joke. Like as, as long as you know when to be serious, that's fine. Um, but, but build fun into it. If there's a case that you don't like and you're not good at, it's okay to trade cases. Like if you, if you pull cases out the back of your clinic and you hate managing diabetic animals, but you love dentistry and you want to trade it with another, another doc, then you're smart to do it because you're both going to do a better job for the animal, right? So right. there are myriad ways you can have fun in your day. And you know it's always served me well to try and find a positive side to things that, that are happening because there always is, no matter how rubbish a situation may seem, if you dig deep enough, you can find a positive, right? You can find a positive. And and there are some really hellish situations you can find you find yourself in, and there's many really challenging situations I've been in, but there's always a positive, and it's usually, well, I can learn something and take something out of this, right? Sure. And that way you can pivot around any challenge to make it a positive and not beat yourself up over it. So have fun. This is a great career. Like I honestly, I feel like I'm blessed to be part of this profession. I'm blessed to have had the opportunities. Um, that I've been given. Um, I'm really grateful to have time speaking to people like you, Seth, and, and thank you for supporting the book. I, I'm, I'm grateful for that as well. Um, it's a great place to, to be and to hang out, so um, enjoy it. Definitely. Yeah, uh, amazing advice, and, and I think all five of those things and, and, and even the, the the additional things that we got into today are incredibly important. And like, like I said in the beginning uh, of the podcast today is that these things are just not mentioned enough. I, I, and I don't think they could be mentioned enough, but they definitely aren't mentioned uh, or taught to, to the degree that, that they need to be. So um, for, for anyone listening out there, pre-vet veterinary students, new graduates uh, really take to heart what, what Davis has talked about today. Cause when, when things are getting tough as, as they commonly do in veterinary school and, and which again is totally normal because vet school is one crazy roller coaster ride. Um, just remember these things and, and, and to, to finish it off, I th- like you said, just have fun. This is supposed to be fun. If you're not having fun, uh, that that's the first red flag and, and, Go talk to somebody about it. Uh, reach out to friends. Reach out to, to mentors and other veterinarians because uh, having a reality check and, and remembering why you got into this profession is going to keep you going, especially in those first few years of vet school when all you're doing is learning about biochemistry and, and boring physiology that's not going to be super clinically relevant, uh, but you're freaking out about it and you're real, you're saying to yourself, why the heck did I get into this? I did not do this to to, to learn the Krebs cycle and memorize that. Um you know, go go spend some time in a, in a hospital or in a clinic and remind yourself how great it is to be a veterinarian and why you want to do this in the first place. Uh, I've had to do that a lot, so so don't be ashamed if you have to. Sage advice. All right, Dave, thank you so, so much again for making the time to do this and for for uh, giving so much of yourself to 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 improve the lives of, of new veterinarians and veterinary students and and kind of uh, giving your influence on how to live a great life and a great life as a veterinarian and and change the change the lives of both the animals that we have but the their owners and and how their owners can really play a role 
in uh, in their pets' lives. So, 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 thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. So, once again, thank you so so much to Dr. Dave Nickel for sharing his great insight on the podcast today. Please be sure to find Dr. Dave on Facebook and Instagram and check out his website and the Hamster Wheel blog at drdavenickel.com, as well as his really, really great podcast that is called Blunt Dissection. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts. And lastly, do not forget to order a copy of his new book. Like I said before, it is a must-have on your bookshelf. So you're a vet, now what? You can find that at drdavenickel.com. And last but not least, thank you so much for listening to the Vet School Unleashed podcast. For more resources and information about the podcast, be sure to check us out online at www.vetschoolunleashed.com or find me on Instagram at SethTheAlmostVet or on Facebook. You can also connect with me via email at Seth at VetSchoolUnleashed.com. I would love to hear your thoughts on today's podcast, and I'd love to hear any suggestions or topics that you'd want to hear us talk about. Even reach out to me if you want to be on the podcast yourself and share some insight of your own. And of course, if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know how we're doing. Thank you again, and we will talk to you next time on Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM. (laughs) 